Exodus, <coughs> excuse me, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Amen. I want to preach to you just a little while this evening on the sin of praying. The sin of praying. If that's a little too aggressive for you, you might could call it when prayer becomes sin. Help me, Jesus. What was happening in the book of Exodus here, a story quite familiar to Bible readers that... Uh, we talk about the crossing of the Red Sea and that thing. This is coming to that place in Exodus 14 and 15. And God had found Moses and, and sent him into Egypt and given him specific uh, direction and, and told him, lead my people out. Moses began the process of leading God's people out and got to the place uh, right here in Exodus 14 where they come to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is following Moses and and uh, Pharaoh's army is hot on the trail of the Israelites and they come to the Red Sea and, and Moses stops and begins to pray. The army of Pharaoh was behind them. The devil controlled that. The sea was in front of them. God controlled that. The people had been commanded by God to march. So what happened? Moses stopped to pray. And when he did, God rebuked him. He said, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. I, I, I'm preaching about the sin of praying. And, and I don't want people to get too caught up in that. And I know somebody's going to say I said something I didn't say. Wait till I get to my point and make my point and validate my point and then you decide. But what happened right here was Moses was given direction. He already prayed in Egypt. God already told him what to do. He was in the process of doing what God told him what to do. It was, the task was not completed yet. And when he stopped to pray, God rebuked him. There was a man named Dr. Adam Clark. Uh, he worked very, very long and hard as a minister. Became a very, a very great minister. A very, very uh, well-admired minister. And, and Dr. Uh, Adam Clark was... <coughs> at a particular school one day preaching and speaking at a at a school and a bunch of young students had gathered around him and one particular student had decided uh, a long time before to, that he was going to do all and everything he could everything in his power to to emulate Dr. Clark he wanted to be just like uh, Dr. Clark and and teach like him and preach like him and know the Bible like him and he uh, finally got his big chance to be around Dr. Clark this day and all these students were uh, asking questions and talking to Dr. Clark and he finally got his opportunity. He said, Dr. Clark, how do you do it? Dr. Clark asked him, how do I do what, son? And he said, how do you, how do you get up there and, and, and preach the gospel like that? And how do you, uh, I mean, do you, do you, when, when you get to a, a church and when you're about ready to, to preach and you're about ready to, to do the things that God has helped you to do over the years, do you, do you pray about it? Do you contemplate on it? Do you wait for God for certain signals and certain signs? And Dr. Clark said, no, I just get up and do it. 
God already called me to preach. God already sent me into the world with the gospel. God already told me to proclaim the truth. I don't have to re-pray about something every time that I know that God already told me to do. Moody once happened upon a wealthy congregation of Christians. And uh, as, as uh, D.L. Moody was traveling around the countryside somewhere over there in, in Europe and come uh, into a little community that had a few churches, and one of the churches is where all the wealthy members of the community attended church. And, and uh, Dr. Moody happened into this church and, and, and found out that this church had, had been uh, meeting, especially they had Sunday morning service and Sunday night service and midweek service, but they had called a special Saturday night service. It was a prayer service where everybody come together every Saturday night and they've done it for months and months and months and it was specifically for one reason and one reason only. They got together on Saturday nights to pray that God would remove a particular debt that the church had. The church had a particular debt that had not been paid off and so they decided all of these uh, congregation members to come together on Saturday night and pray that God would remove this debt. Uh, uh, Doctor, uh, 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 Brother Moody happened upon the church on a Saturday night and came in and when they realized who it was they immediately asked him to stick around for the night and preach and bring the sermon for the next morning on Sunday morning. Uh, 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 Brother Moody uh, said that he would come and preach and speak to them on Sunday morning. Came back the following morning after talking to some of the congregation members late up in the night, and before he opened his Bible, before he read his text, before he gave his title of his sermon, he said, I would like to say one thing. He said, as far as uh, uh, this Saturday night meeting that you all are having, as far as this, this special prayer meeting that you have once a week, he said, if I were you, I should not trouble the Lord anymore in this matter. One of them asked him and said, why? And he said, because God has already answered and you're not moving according to God's answer. He began to explain to them that they had a debt on their church and that God had blessed every individual that attended that church with, with fairly good amounts of wealth. And he said that was your answer. It came a long time ago. God blessed you with the ability to do something about it, but because you refuse to do something about it, you continue to pray. And I go so far as to believe as your prayer now goes unanswered. There was a man named Sir George Burns. He was the founder of the Canard Steamship Company. Therefore, realistically, he was the father of the modern-day ocean liner and a pioneer of our huge oceanic traffic of modern times. He was a devout old-school Presbyterian, and he had what his friends called unlimited faith in prayer. Think about that. A man that is referred to as a man with unlimited faith in prayer. But he also had something that Sir Burns himself called sanity with spirituality. I know lots of places I've been that I wish there was more sanity with spirituality. Somebody say amen. <coughs> what happened was Sir George Burns and had some competition that rose up to begin to build ships similar to his. But the ships that they were building were faster ships than his, and they were building their ships faster than he was building his. It was said that they would soon run him off the seas. There was a, a, a race to see who could begin to transport goods back and forth across the Atlantic Ocean, and many feared that Sir Cunard 
Sir George Burns uh, of the founder of the Canard Steamship Company was going to lose this race even though he started the race basically by himself. Uh, they told him that if he didn't do some things and change some things and build ships faster, that, that he would no longer uh, be in competition with his competitors. He, in turn, just kept on doing what he had always done. Mr. Burns would not risk safety for speed. Eventually, his competitor lost two ships, a wife, and a son to the Atlantic Ocean. The competitor's business completely failed, and Sir Burns's business began to thrive again. Some said that it was the handiwork of God and literally reported in the newspapers that the reason the Canard fleet was unsinkable was because all of the hours of prayer that was dedicated to each of his ships. Sir Burns publicly came out and refuted this statement. He said this, and I quote, I do not withhold the glory allowed to God for keeping my ship safe, but for you to give prayer credit where merit deserves the credit is foolish. I do not pray for one of my ships to make safe voyage until I put every effort into ensuring them with safety for the journey that man, money, and time can afford. You see, church, God let both the canards and, and his competitors know what a good ship was and how to make one. For one to rely on divine circumstance... Uh, and the other to first do what he knew to do and then attempt to intercede for the rest. Well, we, we see what the outcome is. We, we begin to understand and it, it is very clear to us. I know uh, of a particular woman in a particular place in the United States. And, and uh, when I was uh, in that particular area, she would request prayer every single church service. When it was time for prayer, she would slip up her hand and say, pray for my children. Pray for my children. The very next service, she would slip up her hand again. Pray for my children. Pray for my children. What had happened was her children had gone out into the world and, and, and grown up to be very wicked young individuals. And the, the children had come to church in times gone by as smaller children. And the pastor and the Sunday school teachers and the elders and the other adults had be, tried to help this woman correct her children and teach her children. And she several times had got up in the face of the pastor, got up in the face of the elders, uh, uh, caused a big scene in the Sunday school class and let other people know I'm the only one that corrects my children. You can't correct my children. You don't get on to my children. And so everybody stopped trying to help her correct her children. And her children got out into the world as they got older began to break break laws and commit crimes and do all kinds of things that were happening uh, in their lives and they began to get arrested and get in all kinds of trouble. And eventually the children were killed. And, and, and all through this time the mother was saying, requesting prayer, pray for my children, pray for my children. I know this is a hard thing I'm saying and this is a hard story to say it about. But I thought to myself over and over, dear sister, why didn't you let somebody help you. Why is your prayer always a prayer now that you wouldn't, that you refuse to do anything about in the past? Mr. Burns also went so far and he added this statement. He said, it was not my prayers that sunk my competitor's ships, nor was it my competitor's inability to pray that sunk my competitor's ships. It was merely his unwillingness to do what he already knew to do. There are people tonight 
that are relying on prayers to get them by when they know they're ignoring to do the things that they already know to do. If you know you're not supposed to go there and you go there anyway and then you pray for safety, my friend, it's not going to work like that. If you know not to buy something, not to consume something and you do it anyway and then you pray that God will get you through to the next day, dear friend, it's not going to work like that. We are forever preaching the powerful doctrine of prayer and so we should but when have we warned our congregations of the time when it is not only dangerous but genuinely wicked to pray no doubt I'm shocking some of you tonight and I would rather not shock you but but I want you to follow me for a moment while I explain about the sin of praying <clears throat> we could look in the book of numbers and the 22nd chapter we know the story of Balak and Balaam and and uh, Balak uh, sent, sent some of his, his captains to go to, to, to the man of God, the prophet Balaam. And, and Balak said, go tell him, I need him to come curse these people, these, these Jews, these Israelites. And, and so they came and they said, Balak wants you to come and to curse these people. And uh, being the man of God that he, he seemed to have been at the time, he said, I, I, I want you all to wait right here. I'm going to go pray and I'm going to ask God if he wants me to do that or not. He went and he prayed and God said, no, don't go. Is there anybody within the sound of my voice that is so ignorant that they cannot understand? No, don't go. Oh, help me, Jesus. He came back out and he said, boys, I'm sorry I can't help you. I'm putting it in my own words, obviously. And he said, there's, there's nothing I can really do about this. Uh, I talked to my boss, I asked God, God said, no, don't go. The messengers went back to Balak and said, uh, Balaam said he's not going. He said, give him gold, give him silver, give him half, give him, give him authority, give him half my country. I just, I have to have this done. And they came back and they said, look, he said, you can have this and you can have that and we're going to pay and we're going to give you things. We're going to make you a, a, a predominant citizen. You're going to have power. And then Balaam said, all right, hold on right here. Let me, let me go ask God. The first prayer was a righteous prayer. He had a question. He had a dilemma. He needed God's answer. He knew better than to act without God. God gave him an answer. Then there came persuasion. Listen to me, somebody. When God gives you an answer and you stand on, and the next thing that happens is, is to not follow God's instruction becomes even more enticing, even more lucrative, even more valuable. And there's even more pressure to do so. That's the time to stand your ground, friend. But instead, Balaam goes and he prays again. This was a sinful prayer. This was an unrighteous prayer. He began to pray. And I'm going to show you something. You may not have seen this in the Bible like this, and you may not understand it like this. But in Numbers 22, and begin reading, uh, uh, about verse 19, he said, Now therefore I pray you tarry all, also here this night that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. He's going to pray again. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But, but yet the words which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning 
and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Verse 22, and God's anger was kindled because he went. What? What just happened right there? What I just read you was Balaam said, God, can I go? God said, yeah, go. And then Balaam went and then God got mad because he went. Anybody ever read that and thought, what in the world? What just happened? How can God get mad at Balaam for doing what God told him to do? I'll give you a perfectly good explanation. You see, all these people think that they got these scriptures all twisted up and they all contradict themselves and they're not real truth and all that. But if people would look at God and His Word and His holiness and apply them to our reality, we are made in the likeness and the image of God. There is understanding here. It's simpler than people are making it. How many of you mothers out there listening to me right now? Ever had this situation about 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, you got your little boy named Tommy, and he's about 5 or 6 or 7 years old, and you're trying to cook supper and fry the potatoes and cut up the chicken, and the buzzer went off on the dryer, and you need to get the clothes out of the dryer so you can put the towels out of the washer into the dryer so you could start some t-shirts into the washer because they're going to need them for tomorrow morning. And your husband calls and says, by the way, my boss and some of his friends are coming over for dinner. And you say, baby, why didn't you tell me? I'm not hardly prepared for this. He said, we'll be there in 20 minutes. And so you hang up the phone, and you give the clothes out of the dryer and you smell something that's the potatoes burning you run back and stop the potatoes from burning go ahead and put the chicken in add some more extra food because there's other people coming and get the clothes out of the washer and put them in the dryer and the whole time Tommy's sitting there pulling on your on your skirt saying mommy mommy can I go to Jimmy's house can I go to Jimmy's house and you said no not right now and you go back to doing what you're doing and a couple minutes later he's right there mommy mommy please please can I go to Jimmy's house I'm going to go play at Jimmy's house no Tommy not right now. Go play in your room. Mom's busy. And he keeps coming back. And he keeps coming back. And the fourth and fifth time he says, Mommy, Mommy, everybody else is going to Jimmy's house. I want to go to Jimmy's And you say, Fine, go! And he goes. Because he got his way. But you're mad at him. Now I ask you, does Mommy have a right to be mad at little Tommy? Of course she does. He begged and pleaded. He wouldn't take no for an answer. He wouldn't submit to mommy's authority. Of course she has a right to be mad. Even though she eventually let him go. This is what I say happened in Numbers 22. Balaam said, can I go? God said, no. He went back out and said, I can't go. And he come back and he come back. Pretty soon, he, he asked again and he got more reason. And he said, God, what about this? What about that? They're going to pay me this. And I'm gonna, God said, fine, go. Go. You're not listening to me anyway. And he went. And God's anger was kindled. And God had every right. Look at Balaam. His duty was perfectly clear. God said, no, don't go. But instead of just doing what God said, Balaam did what a lot of people are doing these days. He prayed for guidance. 
a lot of you are hiding behind this little pretend security blanket of, of praying for guidance. I asked a man the other day at a church where I was preaching a meeting who had blatantly uh, hurt his brother and done his brother wrong and made a fool of his brother in public for no good reason. And he came and he talked to me about it. And I said, are you going to go apologize to him now? He said, I'm praying about it. Praying about what? There's nobody that needs to pray about apologizing when they know they're wrong. Oh, I'm praying for guidance. You've, you've drug your family out here in the middle of nowhere. You don't have make enough money to support them. God hasn't moved in this situation. There's no, there's, there's no way anybody can see or tell. You don't have an answer of what's happening. Uh, people are trying to give you a job or work things out in your life. Some spiritual mentor is trying to give you some leadership. And your only answer is, I'm praying for guidance. That very well may be the sin of praying. The problem with Balaam is that he tampered with his inspiration. He has a clear mind, a clear eye, his way is plain, yet the withdrawal of his mind from his soul allegiance to God tells at once of his corrupt moral vision. He is clouded, he hears many voices, he gets confused, he takes a crooked course and he almost suffers complete and utter shipwreck. Balaam's sin was the sin of praying. Church, we do this. You say, I don't understand, preacher. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never done this. Yes, you have. You have tampered with your inspiration before. You've been in a church service and the power of God fell and, and, and the cloud of, of His holiness was rich and thick and the Spirit of God moved on you and your face turned flush and your heartbeat sped up and you ran to the altar and you got down there and you said, Oh God, I feel you. I want to know you better. I want to understand you. I want to live for you, God. I want to be more sanctified. I want to be more holy. And God says, I want you to do this. I want you to send this much money. I want you to start passing out Bibles. I want you to work in the youth group. I want you to drive the van. And you feel it so strong. And you know it's God. You know, you don't think it's God. You know it's God. You know it's God. And you get up from there and the service is over. And people are talking. And you go out to Waffle House. And all of your buddies are laughing and joking. And before you got home, you're telling yourself, ah, I don't know if God really said that or not. And then the next service, you're down there checking again. And then the next camp meeting, you're down there praying again. And then the next revival, you're down there seeking for some of the same answers. God already told you. He didn't change His mind. You just haven't made up yours. We do this. We get down on our knees at the altar we say, God, I'm on fire for you. God, I want to live for you. God, I want to work for you. Is there anything I can do? God, make me an evangelist. Send me to Africa. Call me the pastor. God, I'll do anything you say. Just, just, just tell me, God. And God immediately drops a thought in your heart. Somebody needs to mow the lawn. At the church, every Saturday would be nice. 
You're down there praying, God, give me something to do. God, I want to work for the ministry. I want to be involved in this church that's blessed me and helped me so much. And God drops it immediately in your heart. Plain and simple, black and white. Won't you help? Won't you sign up to clean the bathrooms? Uh oh. Uh oh, I done found somebody out. God gives us inspiration. And it's not always the inspiration we were looking for, and we begin to tamper with our inspiration. Listen to me, if my duty is at any moment made plain unto me, it now becomes my new duty to obey, not to pray, not to pray myself into a conviction to where I will no longer do that which is required of me. I'll tell you a story on me. I was uh, preaching a, a, a revival, I believe, for Brother Philip Dean at Beams of Light Holiness Church in, Pens in Pensacola, Florida, right outside of Pensacola, Cantonment, Florida. And there was a, a young man that come every night of the revival. I think his name was John Geyer. John Geyer was a Swedish young guy, and he had cancer. I think it was cancer. I'm almost positive. Brain tumor of some sort. And he was dying. Every night he would come just a little bit closer to death, just dying right before our very eyes. And he would come and pray, and his dad would bring him, and his mom and dad would come, and his wife come, different, to, and all these things was going on. And it was heartbreaking. We were praying, we were crying, we were fasting. And one particular night, the service was completely over. All the preaching was done, all the singing was done, all the testimonies were given, all the shouting was over, all that stuff. And, and it was the last few moments where the piano player was just kind of playing those last few keys, and all of a sudden, John Geyer's father grabs him up and picks him up and takes him to the altar. And they get down at the altar and he's got his boy down there and his boy can hardly get around on his own. And, and, and he's holding him down there and they're praying and they're crying. And it's just one of those moments where it just seems to me like everybody in the service is done. Everybody wants to go home. The time is already all spent. But here's this man down there. We've prayed for him hours and hours this week, every night. And he's down there and God and me Immediately drops into my heart. I'm standing clear over on the other side of the church. God says, go down there and put your arm around that boy and pray for him at the altar. Get down right beside him, shoulder to shoulder, knees to knees, and just wrap your arms around him. I stood there and I'll admit I did something that several of you won't admit that you've done. We stand there and we say, you know what, God? We look around and we say, if they play one more song, then I'll go. Uh-oh. Oh, you know I found you this time. God, if they go ahead and start another verse, then I'll go. God, if, if so-and-so would do such and such, then I'll go. And you know what happens? They start another song, they start another verse, so-and-so does such and such, and you still don't go. Trying to make a deal with God, and God is not a deal maker. Oh, help us, Jesus. Help me, God. And so I, I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and finally I, went, I decided I was going to step out in just a half a second before I stepped out. The pastor, Brother Philip, stepped out and he went down there and he got shoulder to shoulder and knee to knee with that boy and he wrapped his arms around him and they both began to cry and the church all came back in and the Spirit of God began to fall. The people were weeping and crying and shouting and praying and getting a hold of God and I looked at him and I did not feel a thing. I knew it was the 
the Holy Ghost. I knew it was God. I knew everything they were doing was real. I never thought for a second they were faking or acting. I knew it was God. I knew it was pure. I knew it was holy. And I did not feel anything. It was my punishment for praying the sin of prayer. It was my punishment for not acting upon my inspiration. How many of you have been there? I was at a camp meeting last night and I looked around the service and I see faces of some that I feel like were there just last night. They saw us shouting. They saw us getting in. They saw us worshiping God. They knew what we had was real, but they did not feel a thing. Oh, God. <laughs> please, God, please. In Acts chapter 8 it said, verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for worship. Look at this with me. The angel spoke to Philip and said, go, and immediately the Bible said he arose and went. Praise God! If he would have stopped and prayed about it, like some of us would have, it would have been both disastrous and wicked. Of course, look, don't fall out with me, of course there is time when it is right to pray. And that time comes very, very, very often, because oftentimes the situation is out of our control, and we need God to move. But we And we must teach that, but we also need to teach when it is genuinely wrong to pray. When God gives us something to do, He surely gives us the means to do it. So to then pray about it once He gave us the means and the understanding, that is wrong I'll give you the most beautiful illustration I possibly can to support my point there was a beautiful young girl she had an older brother just older than her and she had a mommy her mommy was very very sick they lived out on a farm and the two things in this world that this beautiful girl loved more than anything else she loved her mommy and she loved the birdies. She loved the little birds, the little birdies that flew around and landed in the bushes out on the farm. She loved birds and she loved her mama. Her mom had been sick for many, many days and she stayed right by her, her mama's bedside and tried to tend to her and help her and put cold rags on her forehead and, and cooked her chicken noodle soup and brought it and fed it and all these things and mommy just got worse and worse and worse and nothing the little girl seemed to be able to do would help mommy. She longed to be out there with the birdies, but she dared not leave her mama's side. One day she heard her older brother bragging that he'd been building traps and catching the birds and, and persecuting and punishing the birds and, and torturing them and breaking their wings and killing them, and it, it so hurt this little girl's heart. Later on that afternoon, mama was waking up for a nap just in time to see the little girl come walking up from outside. She got down on her knees. And she began to pray this special prayer. She said, Lord, please save the birdies so they don't get caught in brother's traps. I know they won't, Lord. And Lord, please, please make mama better. I know you can, God. Amen. Mama looked at Sissy and said, 
Honey, I don't know if I understand your prayer. And she said, what about my prayer, Mama? She said, well, you said, don't let the birdies get caught in brother's traps. I know they won't. And then you said, please make Mama better. I know you can. How can you be so sure that the birdies won't get caught in brother's traps? She said, that's easy, Mama. Before I come in to pray for you, I broke all of brother's traps. <laughs> About the one situation, she did everything she could. About the other situation that she couldn't do anything else, she gave it to God. This is genuine prayer, friend. Moses, God said go. Balaam, God said no. Philip, God said go. What is he saying to you? When God gives you clear direction on no or go, it is not time to pray. It is time to act respectively on the inspiration that God gave. Don't let your sin be the sin of praying. Oftentimes we say we missed God or we blame some circumstance. Sometimes it's just the fact that we didn't listen, didn't act, and prayed too long because we didn't like our answer. Think about Philip for just a second, and I'm closing. In Philip's situation, it says immediately he rose and he went. If he would have stopped and prayed first, like you and I would have, what do you think would have happened? Even if he would have went, he would have went out in the middle of the desert, and he would have found nothing but a set of chariot tracks passing through the sand. Couldn't tell which way was coming and which way was going. And he'd have looked around and he'd have said, must not have been God, it must have just been the pizza. And he went back home. And an entire country would have lost out on the truth of Christ. Friend, who's out there waiting for you to obey God's commands? Don't let your sin be the sin of praying. Don't hide under religious things that are good and try to do something bad with it. There is much need of much prayer. But when the prayer is answered, there is desperate need of action.